what squats can't do. That's a much easier conversation. Obtaining our own water supply and something taller than 24 feet. Any other tactical objective you need done, we can get it done. What's up, my brothers and sisters? Welcome to the Fireground Fitness Podcast, episode 24. We're going to talk about life on and off the fireground, and the views and the opinions expressed are those of your host, that's me, Rain Gray, and the guest. Speaking of which, today's guest is firefighter by the name of Creston Ludlow, and he and I had a great conversation talking about social media, its impact that it has on the fire service, talk about training, how to implement change in the fire service, and of course, uh, him being a squad guy and the creator of the Ghost Squad Instagram page, we talk about life on the squad, what the squads are capable of, and what the, what they can't do. And we wrap it up by talking about uh, cancer prevention, uh, something that's near and dear to Creston's heart, uh, part of something that he's into off the job. And so uh, you'll have to give it a listen to get to that. So please enjoy this episode, episode 24, coming at you. I'd love to talk to you about your your business, and I want to talk to you about social media, um, and I want to talk to you about being on the squad and what your thoughts are on that, because I know there's uh, there's a mystique about the squad, what they do, what they can do, what they're capable of, and then you know. But I happen to know personally that you guys do some tremendous amount of of training, so I want to get into that. But I like to start at the beginning. So, who okay. is Creston Ludlow? <laughs> Well, uh, my name is Creston Ludlow. I'm 37. Currently assigned to Squad 44 B Shift here in Phoenix, Arizona. Uh, Ghost Squad for those of us that know about it. Um, I grew up in California. This is a Ghost Squad, so yeah, Ghost Squad. You might not know. Yeah, may, it, <laughs> now you do. Uh, first 10 years of my life, I lived in San Francisco, military base. My dad was a Coast Guard. Coast Guard. 21 years uh, when he retired, we moved here to Arizona. A lot of our family was here. Pretty much everybody's from Kentucky and Texas. A lot of people landed here in Arizona, so we followed, and I've been here ever since. Grew up down South Chandler. You so right around how old are you? Like ten? Oh, you were young. Okay. Yep. So I, I claim Arizona. Grew up here. You know, military base is a little different. You know how it is. Um, yeah. It's a subsection within the culture of an area. So right. Not really the same. <laughs> I don't know too much about San Francisco, uh, to be honest. But uh, grew up here, uh, South Chandler. Went to school in Mesa at Dobson High. I've always been an East Valley guy. Um, you still out in East Valley? Yep. Live yeah. in Tempe. Love it out there. Yeah. Uh, 623 makes me nervous. You know, <laughs> I cross over. Unless I'm on a big red truck. I don't know. Um, but it's kind of cool. You know, I grew up out in those areas where it was cornfields and, uh, you know, dairy farms at the time. Uh, before all the freeways, before all the, the growth. So yeah, I've seen it a lot change. not like there. that anymore. No, absolutely not. at not. all. Mm-mm. Yeah, that's interesting. The uh, this is your folks still live in the in the valley. Yeah, everybody's uh, pretty much uh, Chandler and Tempe for the most part. Nice. Well, that's good to have everybody close by. Yeah, so, nice. what led you to the fire service? Well, you know, in high school, a lot of the kids were going to Evit. They're in Mesa, hmm, right. you know, doing the fire science thing. What's that? I forget what that stands for. It's uh, uh, East Valley Vocational Institute of Technology. I think. There you go. Um, my dad was a firefighter for a few years in the military on Hawaii where he was stationed. He actually drove a tiller truck. So I remember as a kid hearing those stories and thinking it was so cool. And, Did you uh, feel ripped off because you didn't go give it in Hawaii? <laughs> no. Uh, you know, I didn't go until I was much older. So, I, you know, if you don't know the difference. Right. But, uh, yeah, I heard great stories. You know, my mom <laughs> went to high school there, and that's where they actually they met and got married. So I've been able to go back and check all that out. It's pretty cool. But, uh, yeah, I was playing football. I wanted to go to Evit, but it was really tough with the schedule. So it didn't happen. Uh, my mom was in a little fender bender in downtown Gilbert. The crew that came out was really nice to her. She mentioned that I wanted to be a fireman or I had thought about it, and they had an explorer program. Same thing as our junior cadet program here in Phoenix. And at 15, landed on an interview. I didn't know anything about the fire department, and I got in. Um, started going to these meetings, trainings. Um, they do a great job. I think uh, you know, anytime you can bring a young person in, give them structure, direction, and exposure to the fire service. I was hooked day one. My first ride along was on ladder 253 uh, downtown or <clears throat> by Fremont Park. And uh, it was awesome. I just thought it was really cool. We went on extrication, cooked, washed the truck, played ultimate frisbee, ran some calls. You know, just a really cool intro. 
and that just kind of catapulted me to continue on. So you bring up a really good point. You said every time, or you said anytime you can bring a kid in and show them, um, you know, kind of what the work environment looks like, what the job expectations are and give them a little taste, uh, is transformative. And I think it's really important. I tell kids all the time, you know, find somebody who's doing a job that you think is interesting and go ask them about their job, right? Go and shadow them or whatever, if you can, and, and see what that's like. Cause I think so many people, try to go into the workforce without ever being exposed to these. And there's, there's, I mean, hundreds of thousands of, I'm, I'm sure I'm shortchanging here. There's so many different types of occupations you can do. Uh, why wouldn't you go out and see some you know, different things out there and, and get exposed? Well, I, I really think the fire service is full of people who were on a different path. You know, they did their yeah. four year career yeah. or four or four year college or vocational training or whatever it is they decide to do. Right. They get there and realize, wow, this is different. This is not what I thought it was going to be. Right. And from a young age, uh, b- sitting on the inside, listening to firefighters, seeing them work, um, thankfully having good ones, take me under the wing and help mentor and guide and really help me understand. Um, I, for me, that really drove me, uh, to be very, very dedicated in a lot of different ways for having that versus just the idea of wanting to be a firefighter. And I think we do the same thing for young kids that rove through the station. You meet someone younger, newer, and you have the opportunity to snag them, mentor them, teach them. You can, you know, you're inspiring guys today that could be the captain or the chief, you know, all the way up to the fire chief 30 years from now that you have no idea what you're sharing and teaching them right. really impacts them. Not only are you introducing them to the fire service, but really, and I think this is really critical, is you're introducing them to the values that we think are important. And so uh, you're shaping that person's mind from the very beginning mm-hmm. um, about how they're going to behave. And if, if they do eventually get on the job, they're going to look back on the things that you taught them and they're probably going to emulate that for the rest of their career. Absolutely. So you, it's a tremendous responsibility and an opportunity and an honor, I think, to be able to do that for somebody. So, yeah, I think if, uh, you know, any young adults out there that are thinking about their career path, you know, find somebody who is uh, doing an interesting job and go talk to them about what they're doing. It's And then you can figure out what the career path is. You know, like, you know, getting on the fire department. What do you have to do prior to becoming a firefighter? It's way more complicated than you would think. Oh, yeah. There, I mean, the testing process is a full-time job before you even get the opportunity to do the full-time job. Right. I mean. Fire department interviews is its own language. Um, there's a whole uh, culture to riding along and integrating with the crew, um, understanding the mission, uh, understanding the capabilities of the fire department and the right. vastness of it. And that was one of the things as a young person realizing that we don't just do fires. Right. How many members of your family still don't fully understand that we actually run EMS and we have paramedics or we right. have our own ambulances? And that doesn't even begin to get into smoke detectors and baby shots and pool fencing and so many other things that we really do. And I think we've worked in silence for so long, not wanting the hero tag to us, mm-hmm. wanting to be, you know, just hardworking, go, you know, just do the job and not uh, be boastful. But within that, people aren't educated of really what the fire department does and what they really offer to them. Unless you've received that service, you're not fully aware of it. Right. Well, you think about the percentage of people who actually activate the, the system, probably not very many. It, it, when you look at the size of a community, it's really a fairly small number, relatively Absolutely. speaking, you know? Mm-hmm. So yeah, so people's awareness of what we do. So it's interesting you that you bring that up because marketing is a, I think we're getting with social media, there's a lot more um, that is being shared about who we are and what we do and what it takes to be a firefighter. It's much, much more public than it ever was before. Oh, absolutely. And, uh, it's an interesting, it's a bit of a minefield, right? Cause you can be, you can overshare as well. Well, I really think, um, I use 487 vote as a, as a, a good foundation to talk about social media because there we are as a department, as a union, as multiple departments and unions working together to fight things, change that's coming to the fire department and mm. sometimes threatening, um, you know, we get go we go out and spend so many hours of the day time trying to share that message letting people know we're there for them what we do for them and social media can do that every single day that's really why we actually started the ghost squad 44 page on instagram was really as a tip like you talked about with people not knowing what squads do or the training that we do um it was really a way to share that um you know i have good friends in the fire department that i trust 
and who have been mentors to me and helped me grow in tactics and helped me grow as a firefighter. And they still don't fully understand squad work. I think it's a good way to use it as a promotional uh, and awareness. You know, it, uh, the job and the capabilities are there, but letting people know what they are, that we're there to help them, support them, uh, what we can offer. That's really why we did it. And I think that the fire department is really getting into its own now where social media, you know, we can talk about that in the future, but social media was uh, taboo. Uh, big time. Well, so you have some intimate uh, history here. With, <laughs> yeah. So we go, this goes way back to, well, okay, hold on. Before we go there, let me ask you a question. How old were you when you got on the job? So uh, you, you kind of went down the cadet path, and then you ended up, so you know, I worked, obviously you got yeah, I got hired at Rural Mexico when I was 19, hmm. um, and I came to Phoenix when I was 22. Okay. So young. And so you were a young cat, yeah. and you were um, and you were tinkering around with uh MySpace, yep. which I don't even know if anybody even remembers what the heck MySpace even what looked like or was. I'm a little bit older than you, about 10 years older than you, and MySpace wasn't a thing for me, really. I mean, I knew it existed, but it wasn't something that social media was this new kind of evolving creature, which I think is part of what uh, might have caused a bit of a snafu uh, for you <laughs> early in your career. Snafu, that's a good one. <laughs> <laughs> well, so can you... Um, can you uh, can you explain what happened? Yeah, briefly? you know, um, when we first got hired, um, you know, you know, social media wasn't that popular in the fire department. We were dealing with a little bit older generation. Um, I was obviously young, 22. Some of us had Facebook, or excuse me, MySpace at the time. And that kind of got out. You know, some people found it, saw it, um, disagreed with it. There was a few different uh, opinions on whether it was good, bad, and different. And honestly... Um, you know, we had to deal with the wake of that. There was some positive opinions and nobody cared. And some people took it very serious. Um, and at the time, you know, I got hired in 05. Uh, they were hiring 45, 50 recruits a class. So a huge influx of new people. Right. And that was a big threat to that generation at the time. There was a lot of conversation about millennials and change and tradition and, um, you know, people thinking at the time hiring that many folks at a whack, people weren't earning it. Mm. Um, lots of different things. And honestly, um, it was a big learning lesson of how the department works. Um, when you're brand new, nobody knows you. Um, nobody knows your work ethic. Nobody knows your personality. And pretty much what they say, whoever they are, are right. And um, it's not your place to fight back. It's your place to put your head down, work harder, and keep going. And honestly, you know, that was a long time ago. That's been over 14 years. Um, it's just one of those learning lessons. Um, there was days that really sucked to be the public enemy number one in the fire department for being part of that. <clears throat> and honestly, a lot of it was miscommunication. Uh, a lot of it was uh, whatever the rumor mill said became real. Um, and it was not our place, or nor did we have the clout or connections to fight that. Right. Um, and it just is what it is. I mean, honestly, it's the fire department. Um I enjoy a good joke just like anybody else, but at the time, nobody knows your personality because you're brand new. Anybody that works with me now knows I'm a jokester, and I, I really love the job and the banter is something I very much enjoy. Um, and there's guys I look back um, that were part of those jokes that we laugh about it now all day long. I've, I work with them regularly, actually. Um, so, it, you know, you grow from it. I think you always have a choice. No matter what happens in your life, good, bad, or indifferent, what you do next is up to you. And you just got to put your nose down. And all these years later, I think that uh, anybody that's had something negative happen to them in their uh, career at any point, new, uh, middle-aged, or late in their career, you have a choice. Do you go to work angry and mad and not love the job anymore and not develop relationships? Or do you say, screw it, I still love this job. Uh, it's still provided for me and my family all these years later. Um, and it, things are still great. So, I mean... You just kind of chalk that up. But I do use it as a, a learning lesson and share it with some of the younger members. I see a lot of things online that I go, wow, guys, huddle up. Uh, not good. Not cool. Right. Um, and I think we're more accepting to promoting the fire department online and social medias. But the way you know younger members don't fully understand that freedom or respect that freedom right. sometimes, 
they have to be careful still. Right. Or I was even older members who don't know how to utilize it properly, right? So they're, mm-hmm. they have an opinion. They think they can just share an opinion out there in the, <laughs> in the internet and the interwebs and Man. off you go. But that can unleash a, a series of real problems if you're, if you're not careful, right? The messaging well, <laughs> you say. <laughs> yeah, absolutely. I think, uh, keyboard warrior, uh, comes to mind that little term. Mm-hmm. You know, we have, um, <clears throat> we have members that are very, very comfortable being extremely boastful and loud at the kitchen table. Mm-hmm. Um, at their own station in their environment, um, they kind of are king of the king of the hill in their space, and I right. respect that. Right. But when you enter into a social media realm and you don't have that comfort zone or those protections, well, you're yeah, you're, yeah, you're, you really well, expose when, your underside a lot more. Yeah, when you're in the firehouse, you're in a you know. Well, I mean, even in the firehouse, you have to be really careful what you say. But if you have your Fab Four and it's your bros, you can kind of say what you want, right? Because you're inside the nest with your fr- with your family. But once you once you get on the social media, now you are out in the uh, universe, the right? Twitter sphere. <laughs> yeah, right? and anybody can hear or read what you're saying, and and the written word is, and even in video, whatever, it's taken out of context, right? When you put it on social media, it is out of the context of your original thought, idea, joke, whatever, and can be completely misconstrued. So, uh, it's very delicate and dangerous thing to do, right? Which Absolutely. I think. So we go back to you know, kind of the MySpace <clears> thing, you know. And you realize that the the fire service, I'm going to compare us to the Navy SEALs here, right? Like the, the, the Navy SEALs have had a social media uh, evolution in the last 20 years or more, 30 years, we'll say. And, you know, they, they call themselves the silent professionals. And part of that silent professional is we don't talk about it, right? Kind of like Fight Club. What happens in Fight Club stays in Fight Club. You don't talk about it. And so similarly in the fire service, like, hey, man, we don't put our stuff out there. We don't talk about what we're doing. We don't share that information. And so once it started to become a thing where we began to start sharing that, like, hey, no, no, people actually need to understand what we're doing because we we provide this all-hazard service and we do a lot of different things and we are putting our neck on the line and um, and everybody else is outpacing us. And if we don't participate, we're going to become irrelevant. So, so being involved in social media uh, was very scary when it began to happen because we didn't really understand how to do it. And I've heard a lot of, you know, a lot of cats talk about, you know, the Navy SEALs, same thing, right? Writing books and exposés about their exploits or whatever. And uh, you got to be real careful with how and when and where you share those inf- that information. It's got to be it's got to be curated the right way. Absolutely. So you're well, sending the right message. You know, obviously being respectful uh, and understanding traditions and culture versus your own opinion. And what pecking order you place that, Mm -hmm. I think is very important. I think it's also important to let people know that this is my opinion versus this is law. Um, Right. A lot of us are, you're entitled to your opinion. But I think that when it starts crossing a line, when it's uh, negatively impacting the work that everyone else does and has done and will continue to do, that's very important. And, you know, when it comes to documenting things, I think we've... uh, you know, it's important to share those things. I look at it like when, uh, you know, I've helped a few guys with their retirement videos and they look back and wish, I hear that all the time. They wish they took more pictures. Mm. They wish they had more documentation of what they had done. Looking back, being able to enjoy that, share that. Um, you know, I did our academy video for our, my academy and I don't watch that all the time. But, you know, every couple of years I come across it in a storage I'm like, oh, man, let's check it out. And it's really cool. <laughs> uh, and I've had others tell me that. I think that's very, very cool to have something to look back on. And, you know, it's like um, antiques. When you have it during its heyday, it's not cool. 50 right. years from now, it's cool. It's something that's sought after and collected and looked at and enjoyed and viewed differently. And I think that that's important, that anybody that's doing something like that, whatever it is in your life, document it. I, I like that. And, I mean, I have a photography background. I think it's amazing with all the cell phones that we have now. There's a fine line there, and you definitely need to respect it to being a professional, continue to do your job, not crossing the line for patients, and being very respectful to the incidences that we have. You know, people are losing their homes. People are losing their things. We need to be very, very respectful to that. Mm-hmm. Um, but there is something important and lessons to be learned there. And, um, you know, we we can take those training photos. We do it all the time in special operations. We we like to take a lot of pictures because they're very well, interesting, a, a unique to, things. And there's a lot to learn there. Absolutely. Right? So you get this career call 
if you want to develop those who are coming behind you, here you have, you have some material to go back on and say, hey, not only am I going to tell you a crazy story, but I'm actually going to show you some footage and show you a picture because you are not going to believe how this person was twisted up inside this machine or what have you. Absolutely. Um, and how we had, what we had to do to get them out. Well, I think one of the biggest separators of a, a great player in a, in a sports league, let's say the NFL, and some of the greats to ever play the game is mm. film. Mm. We, grown men will go out and buy a shirt with someone else's name on their back because this person is the best player of all time. Right. And that's great. I, I respect that. Um, and a lot of times those members are students of the game and we applaud them. We cheer them. We pay them millions of dollars. Um, and the fire service has taken a while for that to catch up. Um, YouTube videos, online training, Instagram, Facebook, these kind of things. There's a ton of training groups that are out there. There's a ton of great conversation and just like anything, you need to vet it for yourself, how it works, uh, see the tool, evaluate the tool, and how can you integrate that tool for yourself. That's for your truck, your first due, the type of calls you run, things that work in New York don't work in Arizona, vice versa. That's okay. Um, but there's a lesson to be learned there. And I think when our members start catching up to that and through like Phoenix Fire Ops and other things, those are great reps until you get the real rep. Um, it's visual recognition of a, a situation and how to continue to share that. And we do it at the kitchen table all the time through conversation only. Every day at dinner, every day at lunch, we should be talking about these things, past calls, funny, interesting, educational. But the moment that we put pictures and videos to it, it has this-esque where some people go, I don't know. That's not a real flyer. That's not real training. Um, I don't believe that. I think that uh, it's just another tool in the evolution. It doesn't replace reps. It doesn't replace those conversations. Um, but it enhances them, in my opinion. Oh, 100%. You know, we back in the day, we used to talk about building a slide tray, right? <laughs> yeah. I don't know if anyone even knows what a slide oh, yeah. tray is anymore, right? Actually, at, uh, at one of the stations, uh, I opened up a cabinet, and there was a slide tray full of slides. And my partner and I sat, we started pulling them out, and look, holding them up to the light. <laughs> we didn't have a projector to run the slide tray on. But, the, um, but I digress. You bring up the, the point of having those pictures and images to look at, right? When we are responding to events, uh, having the ability to look back on an image that is similar to the one that you are seeing in real color in real time in front of you um, is important. And I think it takes, uh, you have to be engaged. You use the expression student of the game. That is really, really important. If you want to be successful um, as a, in the back seat, in the front seat, whatever position you are currently aspiring to, if you want to, or currently developing yourself in, if you want to be successful, you have to study the uh, behaviors and the expectations and skill, knowledge, skills, and abilities that are associated with that position on the job. And so whether you're the youngest member on the, on the company, what are your roles and responsibilities? Study those things, right? And then as you're building your skills, you develop them. You want to be a company officer. You want to fill in for the company officer. You better study that game. And, it, and if you sit around waiting for reps in real time, you will your never will flash by you. Yeah. Your career is going to be over and you will never be prepared. So you have to take advantage of all the different mechanisms, all the different modalities of training, whether it's tabletops, conversations, tailboard critiques, whatever, you know, you have a, a chief wanders into your station for lunch or whatever, ask a question, pick their brain because they have sets and reps that you don't have. So talk to them, Fle you know, flesh out your battery of knowledge by you know, all these different modalities. And I think, you know, social media right now I get on, there's all these different accounts that I troll on Instagram or whatever. And I see all this valuable information, man. It's really cool. So it's a neat, we're in a neat place in time. I think where that stuff is at your fingertips. I think that's a, a generational challenge because, uh, we have that conversation in our station all the time. We are, you know, I'm the junior guy on the truck. I got, uh, just over 14. Um, and all of us are on social media looking at these things. And what's mm -hmm. funny is not everybody even has a social media account, uh, but they're all glued over your shoulder when we're <laughs> watching the videos. And uh, Force Entry is a, a big thing, hot topic in our department right now. And here we are watching the Big Blue Door videos mm -hmm. when we're out on the grinder looking at new ways to do it. Um, how do we make it more challenging? What are some of the other th um, you know, techniques? And we want to do that. And I think sometimes like you know, the older generation can quickly assume that if a younger member is on their phone, they must be screwing around. Um, I use my phone every day. Hazmat, TRT, 
training, research, all of it. It is crazy. I probably have about 12 apps that between hazmat and TRT alone on my phone. Um, I don't think people fully understand or give credit to how much, I mean, it's literally the whole world at your fingertips. It's more powerful than the computers in the station sometimes. Um, and sometimes it runs faster. And, uh, and I just think that, uh, you know, for the, that assumption that they must be screwing around or playing candy crush is crazy. So I would like, you know, for us, we try to have a conversation about it. Like, Hey, what do you got there? What are you doing? And learn from them because they might be looking at something I've never seen before. And that happens totally. all the time. So, yeah, I mean, tech, man, we talk about technology. What a, I heard the other day about a company that is putting, um, and I know this has been a long time coming, but you have Bluetooth in the SCBA. So when the SCBA is on, it sends out its Bluetooth signal and in the command vehicle, they can track all the little dots where they are in the fire ground. They're like, man, that is amazing. And I, I followed a thread of conversation where guys were just talking so much smack about the use of this technology. Oh yeah, it's going to fail. And that's, and I'm like, whoa, 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 hold on. We have to maintain accountability somehow, right? And even our manual systems where we put, you know, a little tab on a pad, right? And we say, all right, we're going to collect all these little tags together. And, and, uh, guys aren't using, even using that with fidelity. So, um, so we had to do something to maintain accountability for one another. And so if technology can come in and assist us with that, well, it's, it, we're never going to get, get completely away from, you know, logging onto the computer, putting a tag in or whatever, but having these adjuncts that support us are tremendous. And, uh, you know, you do have to be a little bit pessimistic, but at the same time, we have to leverage technology as best we can. Absolutely. I mean, the pessimist, being pessimistic, excuse me, pessimistic, pessimistic. Sorry. It's been a long day. Uh, <laughs> told you I had a late call this morning. It's just throwing me all off. Um, I think as, Looking at its durability and mm. function for us, mm-hmm. I want something that's going to hold up to firefighters beating on it, breaking it, using right. it, putting it into play. Right. I need to know that it works. Um, but the idea that we just cut things off of the ankles before they ever has a chance is crazy to me. Like everything we do is science based. That's, we, I'm not even going to get into fire dynamics. That's a whole other thing. But I mean, paramedicine, hydraulics, what we drive. Guys are more comfortable with going out and buying the latest 75-inch TV with the latest technology to have in their home to go buy the brand-newest iPhone. But yet the moment that we talk about integrating any of that technology that they pay so much money for, they will refinance their truck in their home to go get it. (laughs) Man, we talk about on the fire ground, no way. Because of tradition or culture. And I ask, well, how far back does your tradition go? Because... uh, if you have 20 years on the job, that only gives you a certain timestamp. What about guys that were around when horses were around or all leathers or rubber jackets or no SCBA? Or at what point do you go back to in your comfort level of talking about the way we've always done it? Well, how far does that go back for you? And I tell people, I go, hey, you know what? Like, I have to be open-minded. I'm always going to evaluate it. Um, does it work for us? And is it durable? Can it take the beating? Can it do the job? That's what we should care about. This idea that we just go, oh, it's new. It's technology. No way. I don't understand. Because in people's homes, they'll call Alexa to answer any question for them. But the moment someone's Googling something at the table, they get mad. Um, So I don't understand. (laughs) Well, I would say there's a certain amount of that is generational, right? And Mm -hmm. I think a lot of times, you know, what's that expression uh, about firemen and change? Oh, my God. Oh, two things I always hate. The way things are and change. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Two things farm and hate. Another Brunoism. Yeah. Yes, I so, find those very interesting. Yeah. So when you think about that, really what this boils down to is change. And it's it's asking uh, us to be flexible and to adjust to a new mode of business, right? A new mode of operation. So I'll give an example. Recently, I had a group that we were working on a project and I said, hey, I don't want to drive all the way into town to meet with you guys for an hour and then drive home. I'm going to phone it in. <laughs> so I got on an app and I said, uh, I was running the document. I had my laptop up and I put the document up and I, I called these, these cats on the, on the computer and they put their laptop up and they were sitting in a room and they've been, I could see everybody in the meeting and we had a conversation, um, about this document that we were working on and we made changes and they could see the changes I was making right there as we were making them. It was amazing. It began to realize that, Hey man, there's a way that we can leverage technology 
optimize our time to make ourselves more successful, Absolutely. whatever. And I know that, okay, so that's in the boardroom, right? So we're in the office. That's one change we can make. Taking that change to the fire ground, I guess people get a little bit leery. Oh, but yeah. to that point, I just saw a, uh, speaking of social media, I just saw a little video. LA, uh, LAFD was doing a little evaluation of a, of a new fully uh, battery-powered uh, fire truck. And I'm like, of course, number of commentary on it were unbelievable. And one of the comments that kind of made me laugh was, you know, somebody was like, oh, that's great, right up until you forget to plug it in. I'm like, yeah, of course, that's that makes perfect sense. But <laughs> And then somebody right behind that says, yeah, but that's the same thing they said about diesel trucks. What if you forget to put fuel in it when they were converting over from horses? Yeah. Right? And I'm like, oh, my gosh, that's the same conversation. That's unbelievable to me. So uh, we have to. I, I get it. We're really good at problem. We're good problem identifiers, right? We can poke holes in anything. Well, let me ask you a question. Let me see what your thoughts are on this. When we have changes like this, how do we lead an organization through change? Oh, well, um, messenger is very important in my opinion. I think sometimes we put, uh, the message in the hands of people that have no business doing it. Hmm. I think that's a challenge. We need somebody, that is able to champion a new idea to the members that will listen. And I just say that because if we're talking about safety practices, and it's a person we all know that never operated like that, that's hard <laughs> to listen to. Um, you know, and that's just a challenge. That's just a reality. We need to be a little bit more honest with ourselves about who we are picking to champion ideas. Uh, when it comes to technology, um, I think we need to have people. Um, RBOs is important. I go to a lot of them. Um, you know? So let me let me flesh out what an RBO is because not everyone knows what that oh, is. Sorry. So so we do a thing called the RBO, which is relationship by objective. It's a labor management collaborative effort when it comes to strategic initiatives or uh, or just work that needs to get accomplished. We do it inside of an RBO, so everyone has a seat at the table. Absolutely, and uh, I believe in those. I attend quite a, a bit of them. Um, I think they're very important. They don't always move as fast as everybody wants them to, but that's also important because just because you feel it needs to move that fast, others can have. Uh, hesitation reservations about it um, through that those groups i think we need to pay close attention if people are willing and dedicated to spend the time to go to these groups to make informed decisions to do the research to be part of the projects the things that those groups are willing to bring forward we should be paying attention to that i think it's challenging when rbos are making suggestions um, doing the research finding out what they want and then those things are delayed and or denied and gone to a different direction because somebody somewhere else has a different opinion um, versus the group that has spent a lot of time and effort uh, evaluating and researching. So, and at some point, you know, we always talk about this. I, I think we're really talking about the 5%. For the most part on the fire department, guys are going to operate with what they have in front of them and what they're given. Um, some are going to do it wholeheartedly. Other ones will do uh, dragging their feet a little bit. But then there's that 5% that really resist. Um, and I just, we cannot stop what we're doing because there's a few that don't believe. If you don't like it, buy. This is, this is the truck. This is the gear. Here's the equipment. People that are, you know, if we operate a little more like that, I think we'd have some people that would be even more dedicated to the process. And I think we need to split, d divide responsibilities up. People that could specialize um, in specific areas, whether that's tools or training or trucks, instead of, uh, you know, one person that has a lot of things on their plate, how, you know, what's a person's particular bandwidth, you know, that really depends. And that's their professional life, their, you know, their personal life. Um, and now you add the RBO process and all those things like divvy that out. I think it takes a little bit like releasing the power and finding people that are really good in particular areas, um, and really trusting them. And, you know, we have to vet those things and they have to be right for us. But I think that, uh, if we did that a little bit more, we'd have people be able to specialize. And I know a lot of other departments do that. They have specialized groups within their RBOs or their meetings. I guess they don't call them RBOs there, but they have some specialized folks that that is what they do. And they spend a lot of time on it. And then they listen to them on that, whether that's search tactics or forcible entry or, or trucks or whatever it is, there's more than just a co-chair. There's actually a group of people that that's what they do quite frequently. And I think that would be important is the front end work, and then all that information, all of those suggestions and ideas are championed from someone that can put that through. Because I think sometimes organizationally we put people in front of projects <laughs> that uh, they probably don't know a lot about, they're not comfortable with. And the moment that they're questioned, the moment that there's any kind of counter idea, 
they don't know how to respond. And I right. think people lose faith in something when the messenger doesn't fully understand the message. Yeah. That's a challenge. Absolutely. Yeah. If you're trying to, you're trying to move, move something through an organization, you're trying to uh, facilitate change. Uh, you definitely need the subject matter expert to have the expertise, right? Well, yeah. we, we don't let anybody, I mean, it's funny cause when it comes to training, mm-hmm. um, for example, if you were going to do ladder training, if mm-hmm. you're not a ladder guy, if you're an engine guy, your whole career, guess who does not get to do ladder training? Mm-hmm. That guy. And that's fine. That's <laughs> totally, I, I get it. Right. We need the experience. We need the background. Right. Um, but when it comes to championing ideas, we will put people in front of things that they have no experience in, no background in. And I think that, I mean, you're just stacking the deck against them from day one. And I think, and then we're surprised or we act surprised when it doesn't work or there's pushback uh, versus someone who has the background, has the experience, has the knowledge. And when they say this is good, we would listen. Let me change lanes on here just a little bit. So as a squad guy, oh. right? You talk about having some expertise. Like you guys definitely have a wheelhouse, a lane that you travel in when it comes to operational expertise. However, for some reason, it seems to be that that uh, operational lane is not fully appreciated or, or even understood. Um, so, so how would you explain to a, a the uninitiated what it is that you guys do, or that you're cap- What are your capabilities? Um, you know, I get this question a lot. And I think generationally, I'm at the point now where a lot of guys I came on with are captains, mm-hmm. testing to become captains. Um, mentors that have grown up are now chiefs, and we're able to have this conversation in a, um, a very friendly, positive light, which I really like. Um, I actually like to start the opposite way, what squads can't do. That's a much easier conversation. I tell people our bookends are obtaining our own water supply and something taller than 24 feet. Any other tactical objective you need done, we can get it done. Um, the soften the building is that standard can't answer, which drives me insane because they don't understand. Um, we carry our own high rise packs. We half the fires have been on the squad have been on a hose line. Um, whatever you need, we'll get it done. Hey, I do want you to know though that I just was talking to somebody the other day who, uh, who said that they had given the squad the order to soften the building and that you guys shredded it in a heartbeat and, uh, and <laughs> yeah. got, got it done. It was like, yeah, you know, yeah. There was a or pretty like good strip that. mall fire recently. There was seven doors in about 20 minutes or less. And they were all uh, unique, reinforced highly. Um, and when it comes to like strip mall fires and big bucks, absolutely. If we have firefighters operating in units and we need to make sure that possible track victims, um, you know, Availability of egress points. Like, yeah, we'll, we'll open it up. You guys smoked it. And, yeah, and so and that that call was actually really interesting because it was everything from Ajax tools to uh, you know the rabbit, the new Hamacho rabbit that we have. Uh, we carry very different blades and saws. Um, there's a lot of unique things that we can do. Um, even getting through block walls and things, we have a you know a Paratech uh, air pack that we use. Um, pretty awesome. Uh, there's so many things that we can offer. But people don't take the time. You know, when things are different, people don't take the time to ask. Um, they assume, and that's, you know, that happens. But I think that's one of the big reasons we did with social media. And it's pretty awesome because when people see something, it's very different than me just telling them, hey, we can do all these things for you. But when they see a video of something happening, they go, wow, you guys can do that? Yep. When did you get that? Uh, we've always had that. <laughs> you know, I think even things like the Ajax tool, to be right. honest, we've pulled that on on a ton of different calls and um, used to be a standard package with our ladders. And I don't know if it is anymore, but I know some of the ladders do not have them anymore. Explain um, what an Ajax is. Ajax air chisel tool. Uh, mm-hmm. It's a handheld pneumatic uh, hooks up to our SCBA bottle, has a regulator. We actually have a quick fitting on ours. So we have a bag, a shoulder bag that we've put together, has a bottle in there, regulator ready to go. Um, you just hook it up and go to work. Um, nice. you can use it to shred metal, get through a uh, block. Um, they've used it for a kid that was, uh, got his leg, his ankle was pinned up to his butt and fell into like a pool skimmer. Ooh. Um, couldn't get out. They use it to chisel out the pool decking, got the kid out. Um, it really is a, a unique tool for us. Uh, and purchase points, especially for fourth century, things like that. Pretty versatile thing. And we've had some people look at that and I go, wow, you have enough time on the job to know what this tool is. Um, and I think there's just, you know, sometimes it's just taking the time to educate. And I know that in the past when squads first came on, there's been a lot of progression from a TRT hazmat support truck 
to this third space that we're doing, actual true heavy rescue work. Um, that's heavy rigging, stabilization. Some of the force entry things we have are very different. Um, you know, the USAR, especially on the FEMA end, um, looking at uh, collapse shoring. We have our own lumber package. We do a lot of different things, um, and I think some people, it's hard for them to fully understand it because it is so diverse. Um, I've been there just over three years, and I am still learning every day. And I work for Greg Hawk, which you've had on here before, yep. the mad scientist himself, and I am squeezing him for every ounce of knowledge he is God, worth. You don't have much time left. <laughs> two years in January. Um, and, you know, we, we all travel. We teach nationally. We take classes nationally. Um, and I, there's just so much more to learn. And honestly, it's, it's been very inspiring to go to work, you know, as when I got there, I had 14 years in the backseat as a BLS firefighter and, um, it was really good. It like renewed my vows with the fire department. I feel, um, I like learning new, uh, new lease on life. Right? Absolutely. Kind of I love it. I tell people, you know, and even the hazmat piece, I tell guys all the time, like it's so much cooler than you think. And I, I made these hats to say, you know, make hazmat great again. And I know we make a lot of jokes and I really enjoy it, but it's, uh, you know, uh, Daryl Wiseman said third day of our hazmat class, you're the fire department for the fire department. When mm. things get weird, they call you guys. And I took that really serious because we're talking about other firefighter safety. Um, and for me, that really solidified what we were doing there and kind of ignited the passion versus not wanting to be a glow worm versus really wanting to take care of the guys and make sure that we were safe and what we could do. You know, it's funny you say that. So all my career, all I ever wanted to do was TRT, you know, as a second discipline, you know, to my firefighting. And once I got TRT, I'm like, God, this is the greatest thing ever. And in the last few years, as I've progressed in my career, um, I've come to appreciate hazmat more and more. And I realized, you know, I've learned just a teeny bit more about kind of as a hazmat first responder and realizing, man, there's so much that I do not understand mm-hmm. um, that is out in the world, in the, in the world of industry. In the, and there's so much industry in the Valley here. In those industries, they use chemicals and they do all kinds of processes that are incredibly dangerous to, you know, not only firefighters, but to the, the private sector as well. And huge hazard zones out there. And, um, it makes me desperate to want to go to hazmat school now because right? I'm like, man, I got, I need to know yeah. this information, right? I got to keep my, I got to keep my guys safe. And how do I do that if I don't have this information? Absolutely. Well, right? TRT is sexy, right? And, I, and I'm okay. No I mean, it is, it is. Totally sexy. I, I love it. I mean, I, I have a great time and you know, we're not in a high mountain area. We go to the Estrellas, White Tanks, you know, uh, out to Buckeye, Sky Song, you know, I, I like it. Um, but when we're doing that, we're usually providing service to a single person that's mm-hmm. injured or hurt. Mm-hmm. Um, and for me, when I talk to non-techs about TRT, you can usually bird dog. And by that, I mean point to the problem. There is the trench. There is the mountain they're hurt on. There is the water. Um, and not that that takes it in any way. You're making it less sexy right well, now. Well, <laughs> but I mean, the jumpsuits are so good. <laughs> Especially the flight ones, right? Real yeah, tight. the way they hug the curves. Yeah, you're right. Exactly. You're right. Can't take um, that away. But like hazmat, there's a lot of unknowns. But it can hurt you, others, and, and large groups. Um, and they can expand rapidly yeah, and, and affect absolutely. a giant part of a community. Mm-hmm. Right? And just the so. frequency of that. Not like collapses and other things. I mean, obviously, Civic Center call and, and many other uh, examples that have come and gone and, and mm-hmm. will happen in the future. But uh, I look at hazmat as just that ability to keep our members safe when there are a lot of them while operating on these calls. And I take that real serious. Um, and it's very point of pride that we can show up, make things better and safer um, on anything that we provide on the yeah. squad. So, I mean, I would say that a TRT call, hazmat, uh, fire, anything. So you said those doors. If a guy got injured, hurt, I mean, I had a, you know, and not to <laughs> the other air packs we used to wear. I had a failure uh, in a strip mall fire. And the best thing I've ever seen was a saw blade coming through the rear door, ladder 37, opening up. I was still on engine 27 then. Um, and I was in the back, all the way in the back in the kitchen of this fire, and a high-pressure line broke. And those guys were forcing that door, and that was the best thing I had ever seen. Yeah. Um, I was able to get out, change my air pack, go back to work. Um, totally unhurt, but it could have been a terrible, terrible situation. The amount of right. pressure that was coming out of my pack, the workload we had already been doing to fight our way back there. Um, and the fact that they made that opening for me, that was not going to happen with the way, you know, the position we were in. Um, 
I take, I, I just take that personal experience and I think about that and I go, well, they may not be operating in this space, but if there is, or if there's someone trapped on the other side of that door, and we talk about that all the time in residential, same thing can happen in commercial. They're in the back part, can't fight their way out, overcome with smoke. There's going to come a day when that's softening the building, we're going to pop a door and guess what? They're going to be right there. Yeah. Um, hey man. And so I really feel the undercurrent of what you're saying um, that is really important important to me, and I know it's important to you, and I want to talk about it, is uh, the level at which we maintain our skill set. Absolutely. Because right? I know going to the squad, you guys have a gazillion things that you're responsible for, right? And uh, an engine company is markedly less, right, when it comes to the skill set. But at the end of the day, the the core skill set that we have to maintain, whether whatever area of responsibility we have, it's critical. Because you might have a firefighter on the other side of a door and you got to get him out. And if your shit is weak mm-hmm. and you can't flood start a saw or you know, whatever, and then and that guy is back there in harm's way and you can't get your brother out because your skills are perished. Uh, man, I just don't have any room in my life for that. Like that's just not okay. <laughs> yeah, man. yeah, no, it, that's a, that's actually a big driving force. Uh, we talk about that quite a bit on our truck. Mm-hmm. Um, the down firefighter, you know, the greenest of green. I know we talk about that for our risk management. And, right. But that idea yeah. we that... We talk about risking a lot to save a savable life, right? Absolutely. But now we're talking about someone in the same training, same equipment, in an environment that has overcome them. Mm. And here we are trying to enter the same space, the same environment, the same situation, with the same training, the same equipment. Um, I take that super serious. And that when seconds count... That's a lot. And I think this, you know, and that's not to take away from what we're doing with the public, but they don't have all that training. They don't have the equipment. And for them to be overcome by smoke and heat is a very different situation than us. So to see another firefighter in that position, something serious has had to happen. More serious than the regular, you know, the general public. Right. Um, so I look at that and go, wow. Um, seconds count for everyone. But the idea that what's waiting in that environment, what's waiting for us that got them. Um, I want to be, <laughs> I want to be very razor with our skills and what we're available to. Yeah. And, and like you said, the vastness of what we're responsible for is important. That doesn't excuse anything less in my opinion. It actually puts more on us and I take that serious, but uh, you know, it's like engine companies. Hey, what kind of hose loads do you have? And do you know the differences out there? And the guys that are roving, have you seen a Cleveland loan? Have you seen the high rise bags? Have you seen a split load? What's uh loops, you know, versus a triple load. Most of the trucks I've ever worked on, uh, 25 and 27 or the main ones I've spent time triple loaded for the most part. Um, that's different. And if guys aren't roving into the station or CMing or whatever it is, day dub doesn't matter. And you don't ask what's different about your truck. And now that we have blitzes and, so many other things that are set up and the, and the amount of types of trucks that we have now are just set up so different. Like it takes some personal responsibility to say, okay, what do you guys do different here? What, what's different on this truck? Ask some questions. Yeah. And I personally, I know we have the biggest toolbox in the city, you know, squads, but, uh, even to this day, I'll, I'll, I'll do an A-dub or CM on a, on an engine. I, Hey, what do you guys do different here? Tell me about your first area. What's your hose loads like? And just understanding there's so many different ones and not having the attitude of, I got it. I don't got it at 8.05 in the morning. Right. That's for sure. There's not a single shift I go to work and I got it at 8.05. I need to ask what's going on here. What's different? What's the plan? What does right. it look like? Yeah. And even in a first due, right? What's changed in a first Absolutely. due? Is there any new construction, any any old construction that things have changed or you know they become more of a hazard, new Absolutely. industry that's moved into the area? I, I'll actually tell you, I, I got to talk about this for a second. I, my biggest pet peeve in the whole wide world is the standard Maryville house statement. I, that drives me insane. Mm-hmm. Um, and I say well, what that, is that, well, explain what that means. So, you know, John F long, uh, major, uh, one of the major, uh, first master plan communities yeah. in Phoenix, standardized housing construction. Um, that's on the back West in the seventies. Yeah. Late sixties, early seventies through yeah. that era. Um, you know, people say that, oh, because all the homes, you know, just like now, track, they would come in and go, hey, this is the style of home. You pick one of five models, and there you go. Um, and that was one of the first ones to really do that. So um, the old, houses are all older now, um, and there's been so many additions and add-ons and cut-ups and second stories and basements dug out. Like, the area's been around for so long. We have multi-generational families living in these areas. Um 
there are sometimes two, three families living in homes that have been cut up. And they say, like, oh, look at the window. Uh, bedrooms to the right, kitchen to the left. And they do that. But I go, wow, there are complete backsides homes that are enclosed. And they don't communicate with each other. And uh, people come in and do, talk about that. They'll just have this, like, oh, well, I'm just in Maryville for today. I know what we're getting. Well, that's not true. We have uh, row housing and these new triplexes and uh, mid-rises is a new emerging hazard all over the city. Yeah. Um, so, I mean, there's so many things that are coming. And we have, like, basements in some of these homes and, like, things that if you don't work there and haven't run the calls all the time and you just assume this is the standard home, you could get yourself in trouble. And most importantly, you could not find searchable area to find survivable people because you don't realize that half the house has been cut off or there's a whole mother-in-law suite. Um, I would say, honestly, we we try to count when we go down streets. I'm saying half or more of the garages or carports have been converted in our first deal. Right. And I think that's a low number probably. Um, and do they communicate with the inside of the home? And, and a lot of times they don't. Um, so I think when people have that attitude like standard, you're really c- selling yourself short. Yeah. It, that kind of reminds me of this the, the expression uh, always and never. Oh, my gosh. Right? Absolutes like that just don't exist in the fire service, mm-hmm. right? And for you to come up and say, well, we've got a standard evolution. And there's no playbook because you have to look at the variables that exist on the fire ground. And those variables, you talk about the, the building construction, is a very, very, it's a huge component, right? You know, I know that a lot of times we're advocating now a 360, right? So getting as much of a view of the uh, occupancy that's under fire uh, as possible so that you have a good understanding of what's taking place. Because if you just look at the front of it and you do a snapshot, you go, oh, it's a standard Maryville house. Mm-hmm. Yeah. You could be completely, you know, screwing yourself over, not to mention thinking about, you know, flow path and fire behavior and the open doors and windows oh, yeah. and things of that nature that are contributing to the, the propagation of the fire. So, um, man, the idea of, of being a professional firefighter, what that really looks like, you know, speaks to kind of what you're talking about right here is, is coming in and understanding that when you come to work, you are coming to work and you have to be engaged and, have, and be fully aware of the hazards that exist in the place that you're working. And especially if you're a transient employee or you're working overtime, you're roving, you're whatever, you're working in a different space. It is not all the same. Yeah. I, I mean, mean, what would happen if you ordered uh, you're going to do a kitchen remodel? Or bathroom remodel. The guy showed up with all your stuff and said, "Yeah, don't worry. I've already, I've done three of these homes before. <laughs> didn't measure, didn't look, didn't evaluate, didn't give it its, its correct, you know, do." And you go, "Wait a minute. You just already ordered everything? Oh, it'll fit. No problem." And there's no one size fits all to firefighting, right. and it just kills me right. when guys do that because we're not talking about, we're talking our ability, uh, we're talking about our safety, we're talking about the safety of the public. And I just, you know, we can inflict more damage on the home. We could not find people as quick as we need to with that. You're just letting your guard down. And I, I don't think at any point in this job, it's okay to let your guard down. Yeah. Amen. So let me, let me uh, segue when you talk about that to, uh, to something that I know is really near and dear to your heart, which is cancer prevention. Yep. Um, what is it? So I know that, so you're involved with a company called Firewipes. Yeah. I'm, and, I'm uh, actually one of the owners. Okay, you're very involved. <laughs> yeah, top level. <laughs> so on the seafloor, what was it that inspired you to get involved with that industry to try to help firefighters? Well, um, it's kind of a little bit of a layered story. Uh, my family has some cancer history. Um, my grandmother, my dad, um, many others, uncles and aunts. Um, I've known some guys on the job that's happened too. Um, it's terrible. I think cancer is a very, very, very shitty, shitty thing. Um, Past the emotional piece, the way it all happened is um, we were at 27, had a house fire, started running calls in our first due afterwards, you know, busy house, protecting our first due like we've always done. Um, We had a trauma, took it to John C. Lincoln. And uh, honestly, we were washing off in the sink and getting screamed at by the nurses. (laughs) And uh, that conversation was, uh, you guys don't have anything to clean up with? And we said, no. And I said, well, we got Vianex and Cavicide and these things. And uh, it just turned into this idea and conversation. Um, we went back to the station. I started Googling stuff on my phone because I'm, I'm one of those guys. When I don't know something, I bothers earlier. me. <laughs> yeah, I, I have been for a long time. Uh, when I don't know something, it drives me to research. I just have always been that way. Um, 
there were some things that were out there that were available for firefighters. I ordered a bunch of them just to try them. Uh, I was teaching at one of the community colleges, running calls at a busy house. So we put these things through the paces, and there really was some fail points, um, some things I didn't like. They taste, you know, everything from burn your eyes, funny taste, smells, uh, high oil with your mask, some crazy thing, all this stuff. And when I contacted these companies, um, they had no idea what I was talking about. Um, one, I even asked about my SCBA mask and they said, your SCB what? So, and these are companies who are making a product specifically for firefighters. Yes. So honestly, in the beginning, it was a personal fight. It was like, I cannot believe there are people out there producing something and marketing to firefighters that have no idea about what they're talking about. Right. And when questioned, contacted and questioned, they had no idea. They actually tried to blame it back on us. They said we were having allergic reactions and this whole thing. And I said, well, I, I was having one. I said, what about the other guys I'm here teaching with today? We all had Chipotle for lunch. We must have the same <laughs> allergic reaction. Um, so it was a very interesting idea. I, I don't have any business background. I never did anything like that before. And it just drove me to research again, not even from a business. I said, well, what is causing these things? And that just push, 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 next level. And it just made me so upset that things were being sold to us that had no right to be there. And then through research, found out that there were some safety issues. And a lot of that just drove me to the next level, to the next level. And now, honestly, uh, we're involved in organizations all over the world. Um, I've heard, I, I can't even tell you how many stories of firefighters coming down with cancer and what it's done to them and their families and the impact it has on them. And it just, wow. Uh, it's, it's very inspiring. You know, I work at a busy house and we get our butt kicked at night all the time and to get up and do it again the next day and the next day on my days off to continue to push this. That's what drives me. Um, I'm still a firefighter in a truck. I'm not planning on going anywhere. Um, but you know, if I'm willing to give up a Saturday to go mow a guy's yard, paint their house, take them to uh, a chemo appointment to take care of our firefighters on the lowest level. I feel the same responsibility across the nation, across the world. We're providing this for, for people. And I think that doing the right thing and taking care of the guys, same reason I talk about hazmat. It's just the same thing. It's doing the right thing, taking care of the crews. And um, that's really where it all started. It was just this immense feeling of, I was insulted and pissed that anyone would try to come into our culture not have any awareness or idea. I felt they disrespected it, and it just catapulted me into all of this. Right. So, what's your what's your reach at this point? Um, we are all over the U.S., Canada. Um, we are in Europe, Australia, South America, Mexico. Um, uh, just getting started into Europe, heavy in Germany, um, and just going to push. I mean, we have a, we have a lot, a lot of times it just has to do with distribution networks. Yeah. And now, uh, we got to the point where we are partnering with some other large manufacturers. Um, we sponsor trainings all over the country. Um, we're sponsoring training, actually trainings all over the world now. Um, and it's just, it, it's, it's pretty cool because it is a product for sale, which is great, but it gives us the ability to donate all over the place. When firefighters go to training to try to become better the best they can refine their craft. We're able to be a part of those trainings and donate to them to support their safety. And to me, that's very serious of why we're there. Um, yeah, it's great for the business, whatever, maybe they'll buy it. Maybe they won't. I don't care. But the fact that they have something there to take care of themselves when they're trying to be better for them and for their department, that's a real big point of pride for me. So, well, I think it's great, man, that you're doing something that is, you know, supports firefighter safety at the end of the day, you know, you're, you know, what you, what you, we've talked about today is all these different elements of, of how you can be prepared for the mission, both per- personally, professionally, and you know, you're supporting, you know, you're there for the community, but then you're also there for your brothers and sisters uh, in arms. And so this is just an extension of that. And I really think it's, it's great that you're doing that. You know, and I think that it has to be said that, you know, organi- organizations need to do their due diligence and need to look at, you know, all the different things that we can do to decon our guys. Absolutely. Right? It's not as simple as, as just, wiping down your neck and face and no oh, yeah, hands or whatever, absolutely. right? There's so many other things they need to do. So we have to be doing, you have to consider <laughs> ways that you can, uh, launder your gear, ways you can do gross decon on the fire ground. There's, and there's all kinds of, you know, different products out there and different techniques you can use. Some are very, very simple. Um, but you've got to, 
you know, I talked to Don Bolstead for a while, um, I don't know, several episodes ago. And you know, she talked about like all these different, all these different practices you have to do. And as a firefighter, you know, you have to be, you know, we always talk about you who's responsible for your safety. Well, you are absolutely. So if you're sitting here waiting for your organization to do some magical thing to help you, you need to start looking at the things that you yourself can do. You know, whether that means you go buy a, you know, a couple of boxes of fire wipes to have on the, in the cab of your truck for you and your crew and come up with a decon procedure, you know, the gross decon procedures and champion the, the cause for getting a second set of gear so you can keep a clean set in the cab and get your stuff laundered, you know, that kind of stuff. Well, I, and personally, I think personal responsibility and the willingness to have a conversation mm-hmm. is, uh, you know, we work with a lot of different departments that have a lot of different levels of resources. And I say that from hood exchange, clean cab, second sets of gear, laundering service, ISPs, uh, wipes, uh, you name it. What's an ISP? Uh, independent service providers. So like, uh, oh, okay. you know, some of the departments don't clean them themselves. Like we have our resource, you know, low yeah. and the gang down there do a yeah. great job. Um, but certain departments send them out to be cleaned and they're laundered, brought back, um, whether that's repair, service, cleaning, that kind of stuff. Check. So uh, I think for us, you know, that willingness, because like, for example, all these things that we talk about, um, all those options that you can buy, great, but you're already provided with a, with your gear and an SCBA. It's having that personal responsibility to wear that $5,000 worth of costume through the entirety of the event. I don't care what you have and what you don't have. If you have the willingness and commitment to wear the gear you have, you're reducing exposure. Yeah. You're reducing um, cross-contamination to yourself with the way you take the gear off, where you store it. Those things are free. Whether that's in the in the crow's nest up top with no bag, with the trash bag, it doesn't come back in the cab. That stuff is free. Clean, uh, clean cab can be just as much as a concept as it can be for a marketing tool for some of these organizations. And I'm not saying that's not a good idea or bad. I'm not getting down that road. But the idea of muscle memory and commitment to the mission is just as important. Um and I think that people really overlook that, that sometimes they go, well, my department can't buy two sets. We're screwed. Uh, we can't buy this. Uh, we can't do anything. Uh, no. I mean, I think that just chipping away at it yeah. and little by little yeah. um, and having that faith is very important. Right. Well, and I think to your point, you have to look at your neck of the woods, right? What What's happening in your region? Can you, if you had a clean cab, for example, and I said, and I heard you say you don't want to go down this road, but I'm just giving the example that comes to my mind. If I have my turnouts in a cabinet, right? We do it on our LTs, right? They put the gear in the back. Mm-hmm. So, and you get popped on a fire. Fine. Pull over and get dressed, right? But in, in, in our neck of the woods, no problem. <laughs> the weather is rarely an issue. But if you're in Minnesota, that ain't happening in the wintertime, oh, yeah. right? So you have to look at these regional differences and then say to yourself, well, what can I do to mitigate my risk? here. Absolutely. You know, what are the little things that I can do? And again, it, it does boil down to some personal accountability. I do feel that organizations as a, as a, as a fire service, we have got to come up with some things that we can do to help our guys be safer. And, um, and every organization is responsible for kind of identifying some of the things that we can do and then acting on them, yeah. you know, do the research, figure out what the best practice is, and then engage. But as an individual firefighter, don't sit around and wait for that. Do something to protect Absolutely. yourself, right? Well, I think we do it all the time. You know, you develop habits. We run medical calls here a lot. We're provided with gloves, sleeves, masks, goggles, you, you name it. Um, do I wear all of those all the time? No, I don't. But when we encounter certain types of hazards, we wear the correct PPE, CPC. We do it in hazmat. We do it in medical calls. So if you're going there for a standard medical call and you want to wear gloves, that's fine. But if you're going to the worst medical call, the grossest, the messiest, we protect ourselves accordingly. And there is no way, shape or how, that stuff's coming off. Mm -hmm. But here we are in a fire, the worst exposures we're getting. Worse than most of the other hazmat calls we ever go on. You know, hazmat calls usually have the name on the side of the building. Chlorine, ammonia, (laughs) whatever it is. The one big one that's going to get us. Um, And these ones are just vast vast numbers and things like cyanide and formaldehydes and other things that are really, really bad um, in very, very low amounts. And I think our members don't fully appreciate what it is we are going into, we're exposing ourselves to. Um, And just the commitment afterwards. I mean, I'll tell you the fastest I've ever ridden a fire truck was a guy that had poop on him (laughs) straight, straight up fastest I've ever been in a fire truck. The guy got picked up a little lady and man, terrible, (laughs) funny, 
but terrible. And we will not tolerate that kind of exposure in ourselves. We, right. we oh, ooh, it's gross. But, uh, you know, the, all those years we would go back to the station after fire and pig rack in the, in the stratos and now oh, we loved it and it's great and black, you know, and I grew up in, in pretty aggressive sections of the city. Yeah. And every we time you open that. the, every time you open the cab of the truck, you're like, yeah, I, oh, I was yeah. mad. I was mad in the morning. If I came in and had that smell in there, I was pissed because <laughs> those guys got our fire. Instead of thinking about what kind of hit I was taking, our exposure, we were continuing. Right. I was only upset that I missed out on a fire. Right. Well, we didn't know. We didn't Absolutely. know. Right. So oh, now yeah. we've all grown up. But, and so now, now that we have this information and we know better, we have to act on it. Oh right? yeah. We would be a damn fool not to. So we're we're in a place now where culturally, and I think this is kind of what you're speaking to here, is our our behavior has to modify. Right. We got to change what we're doing and and be more responsible and respond to the hazard that we've been presented with. Absolutely. Just so. like anything else. Would you go into a fire? Would you go into the firefight without your turnouts on? No. So why would you stick around and all that stuff and take it off anyway? It's so crazy to me. Yeah, exactly. Well, Hey, we've been uh, cranking out for about an hour now. Okay. So let me ask you this where if somebody wants to reach out to you, if they want to follow you along in social media, um, check out the stuff you're doing with Ghost Squad. If they want to follow you on Firewipes, um, maybe they want to buy a box of Firewipes, what have you, try out your product. Uh, where are they going to find you at? Um, well, through Ghost Squad, it's Ghost Squad 44 on Instagram. Um, hopefully the website actually ghostsquad44.com will be up here in another week or two. You guys are starting a website? Yeah. Uh, oh, you guys sell some swag? Uh, yep, a little bit. Nice. Uh, you know, we're raising money for stuff. We actually did a uh, custom t-shirt deal and we raised a thousand dollars for the cancer fund for the union. Nice. That was one thing we did. So we're looking at uh, projects for the station and giving back. So pretty cool uh, support around the country, to be honest. So we want somewhere that's a little bit easier for people to access, order things and process. Nice. Uh, instead of me just licking stamps all day, we're going to, on my days off, going to try to do that. Uh, and then firewipes is firewipes.com and firewipes on all the social media, uh, Twitter, Instagram, Facebook, that one has everything on there. So right on. Um, anytime, if anybody has any questions, um, needs support, whatever that is, we are, we are constantly doing that. I would say about 70% of my time is spent on information education. Um, obviously, I like it. So Good. Right on, man. Well, hey, I appreciate you sitting down and, and rapping with me and sharing your thoughts and philosophy. And, and I really appreciate the stuff you're doing uh, for our brothers and sisters out there, trying to keep them safe and give them uh, just a leg up on this, uh, the fight against the big C, man. I appreciate that. Absolutely. And I want to return a, a compliment. I love what you're doing here, the podcast. I've, I've listened to them. I think it's awesome. I think it's important for people to start having a different perspective and understanding. Um, and I think not, you wouldn't just have to be a firefighter to listen and enjoy this. Um, and I think it's really cool because I've actually got a lot of feedback from younger members on the job that are listening to these. Um, and I love it. I think you should continue to have these like little subsections of the culture and kind of put a magnifying glass on them instead of them trying to just digest it all. It's kind of cool to get it in a teaspoon. So Right on, brother. Thank you. Yeah. Well, have a good day. Go get some you. rest. Yeah, thanks. So thanks again to Creston for sitting down and having a wrap with us and sharing his thoughts and philosophy about squad life and about cancer prevention, etc. And if you haven't already, subscribe to the podcast. That's one way that you can support what I'm doing here. If you enjoy it, go to Apple Podcast, leave a review, leave a rating. Any comments that you want to make, feel free to shoot me an email or reach out to me on Instagram. I can be found at rain gray at firegroundfitness.com on Instagram. It's at fireground fitness. Any case, shoot me a message, send me uh, some love, send me some hate, whatever it is. Feel free to reach out. We can make this podcast better through your comments and your ideas. This episode is dropping with the holidays right upon us. And so I want to wish you and your family the happiest of holidays and you know, put in that time with your family as you start thinking about the new year, start setting some goals, big ones and little ones, and start finding a way for you to start moving yourself forward in whatever it is you're trying to achieve. So that in mind, lean in, get out there, get some.